And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, Corey just read our passage for us, and um, it's all it's all about authority and where where rightful authority comes from. <clears throat> It was it was at least fifteen years ago or so. Uh, I went to a Ligonier conference down in Orlando, and and the theme of the conference was on truth. And uh, well, before I state that, let me, let me let me back up just a little bit. During the '90s, a worldview came to the forefront that affected an awful lot of people, and that worldview was what today we call relativism. Meaning, and, and talking particularly about truth, what might be truth to you may not be truth to this person or to me, and vice versa. In other words, truth was a liquid thing, uh, uh, malleable. It was, it, it was relative depending on the circumstances and what have you. And then 9-11 hit. Remember? Uh, September 11th, 2001. And that... Uh, undermined relativism because 99% of the world was in outrage and said that is evil, that is wrong. Well, when you've got 99% of the people saying something is wrong, they're not being very relative. Everybody agreed that is wrong. How did they come to that consensus? Well, I went to this Ligonier conference. Hey, Everett, you had, your, you had your shot two weeks ago, buddy. You did good that day. Just playing. Uh, I go to this conference, and it's about truth. One of the speakers uses Luke 19, verses 1 through 5, as his passage. And he talks about the fact that, yeah, and this was in the early 2000s. And so we were seeing, really, the demise of relativism because of 9-11. But he says, in fact... Relativism has been around for an awful long time. Jeez, they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing this? He says, well, let me ask you a question. And if you answer my question, I'll answer your question. So he says, the baptism of John, talking about John the Baptist, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from God or of man? And so they think among themselves and they say, well, if we say A, this is going to be the results. If we say B, this is going to be the results, and we don't like either one of those, so let's create a new truth. So they say, we don't know. That's what suited their situation best. So the point of that sermon was relativism has been around for an awful long time, and it is not dead today. 9-11 uh, dealt, uh, I won't say a death blow, because it is still a viable worldview in much of the world where truth is relative. It just depends. Well, today we're looking at a passage that seems to contradict that. Now, the problem that these Jewish leaders faced was that Jesus and his authority confronted their authority. They had had their share of run-ins with Jesus. Three years earlier, at the start of his ministry, Jesus had also gone up to Jerusalem, and he'd gone into the temple, and he'd cleansed the temple then. But then he left town. He went to the north, and he spent most of his time up there. 
and so they continued to run the religious establishment there in Jerusalem. Uh, he'd come to town a few times, particularly at the times of the feasts, and he stirred things up. But then he would go to the north again, and everything would settle back down. But now things were coming to a head. Something had to be done to rid the nation of this troublesome prophet. The problem that those Jewish leaders uh, faced is the same problem that every person who comes into contact with Jesus faces. His authority confronts our authority. Now, at first, maybe it's just an irritating sermon. Maybe this today will make you uncomfortable, right? And you don't like it, so you just kind of brush it to your side and, and, and you continue on with your agenda for your life. Then perhaps you have another account or encounter with Jesus. A passage in the Bible steps on your toes. Now, understand, in anybody's preaching, Okay, I'm including myself in this. Anybody's preaching. If your toes get stepped on, it's not the preacher. Now, if you want, you can come up here and I'll step on your toes. But it's not me that's stepping on your toes spiritually. That is the Holy Spirit. All right? So maybe that happens. Uh, you get your toes stepped on by Scripture and your, your level of discomfort just goes up a notch. You realize that if He takes control over your life, there's going to have to be some radical changes. And you're just not sure that you want to give up that control. So you scramble uh, to dodge the implications of just who Jesus is. You raise all sorts of intellectual questions so that you don't have to face the fact that, yes, he is Lord. But he keeps coming to town just like he's done in our passage here and confronting your authority to run your own life. Sooner or later, you come to kind of a crisis point where you have to deal with a question that these Jewish leaders had to deal with. Uh, they asked Jesus, by what authority does Jesus say and do these things? What's his authority? Now, their bottom line is the same for us today. If Jesus is acting by God's authority then you know what? We had better submit to him. Now let's pray. Father, we come before you once again just to bow the knee and to, to say, first of all, that we love you and we thank you for all of your goodness to us. And one of your good, good, goodness to us is Scripture. And so, Father, I pray that this morning as we just examine this passage that you would speak through it by your Holy Spirit to convict us, uh, to show us what it means to be the one in authority. Father, I pray that you would help us to submit and give up that authority that we think that we actually have when, in fact, we don't. So God, help us this morning for your honor and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now this story brings out three things about the important matter of, of authority that I think we would all do well to, to listen to, to consider. Number one, authority is a fundamental question of life. Who has the right to govern? That's just a, man, that's a foundational question. Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders' questions is a, a basic one. Tell us by what authority you were doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? And their question was valid, but behind their question was an assumption that they hadn't carefully thought through. They assumed that they were God's rightly appointed religious authorities. 
After all, Israel was God's chosen nation. The temple was his designated place of worship. They had the proper training in the Hebrew scriptures. In other words, they assumed that they were right, and anybody that challenged them was wrong. Now, does that sound familiar? It should, because we make the same assumption. We automatically justify ourselves and resist anyone who challenges our right to govern our own lives. We assume that we know what is best for our own happiness and well-being. Who does this intruder, Jesus, think that he is coming into our world and overturning the tables of how we do things? So the issue is, is, is the, the one of authority to govern. Jesus doesn't dodge their question. He says, in effect, that if you will answer uh, his question rightly, they will have the answer to the question. So if John the Baptist was God's prophet and he pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, then Jesus was obviously acting under God's authority. There's only two sources of authority. Jesus mentions them. Heaven, which is a Jewish way of saying God, or man. Heaven or man. That's it. Now, of course, sinful men are under Satan's domain. We understand that in Scripture. They're in rebellion against God. Most people acting under Satan's domain are, are, are not aware of that fact. They simply act on their own authority, out from under God's authority. Most people aren't consciously uh, in league with Satan and perhaps not even consciously in rebellion against God. But if they aren't knowingly obedient to God and to His Word, then they're not under His authority. All authority either comes from God or some other illegitimate source. Now, the Jewish leaders, they had some political authority, uh, but they weren't under God's authority, or they would have followed John the Baptist and the one that he pointed to, namely Jesus. Now, like many politicians, their authority wasn't very secure. They didn't like what John the Baptist taught, uh, but they knew that their constituency really liked John, and they had to tread carefully. But when you play politics, carefully wording your answers so as to please people, you're not living under God's authority. Well, even so, the question turned back against them is a basic question in life that we all must answer. Who or what is the final authority in life? Who determines what is right, what is wrong? Who said that you could act as you do? Mark 11.30, it records that Jesus pressed them in this same scenario, the same incident. Jesus says, answer me. He does that to us today. He demands that we answer this basic question. Have you answered it in your life? Who is your final authority? And you say, I'll let my conscience be my guide. Well, what informs your conscience well, you say, I just feel inside what is right. Well, I've read of hired killers who could shoot a man in the head and not think twice about it. Their conscience is so seared. Perhaps you say, I obey the laws of the land. Well, what if those laws say that it's okay to kill babies or to gas the Jews or zillions of other things that we know are wrong? Does that make it right just because it's legal? 
Do you obey the state when you don't like its laws or just when they agree with you? Maybe you obey reason. Whose reason? There are always proponents on both sides of most moral issues. By what authority do you live your life? Our society generally used to agree that the Judeo-Christian standards of the Bible were moral absolutes. But now that we have rejected that moral base, our judicial system is in crisis. You often hear you can't legislate morality. Well, really? Aren't murder and rape and child molestation and racial discrimination, uh, aren't they moral issues? The crucial question is, how do we determine whose morals we are going to legislate and uphold in our courts? By what authority is a fundamental question of life that each of us must answer. Will you live your life under God's authority or under some human authority, be it yourself or someone else? Well, number two, God's authority always confronts our selfish lives. How many of you know that you're selfish? I'm not even going to look. Go ahead, raise your hand. It's part of the way we're raised here in the West. We take care of ourselves. We pull ourselves up our, 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 our bootstraps. We, we're in control of our lives. Well, these religious leaders, they liked their place of authority. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, Matthew records for us some of Jesus' teaching during his last week here on this earth. It's in the temple. And he shows why those who opposed Jesus, why they wanted to retain their own authority. He begins chapter 23 saying, they, these religious leaders, have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. That's a lofty thing. But it wasn't to serve God. It wasn't to serve their fellow man. It was to gain status, to receive honor, to make money off of the position, which Jesus calls robbery. It was to live as their own authority in self-indulgence, out from under God's rightful, true authority. Jesus calls that lawlessness. But God's authority as manifested in Jesus, it confronted their self-appointed place of authority. He upended their neat little temple operation, and he showed them that their hearts were very far from the Lord. If they had been following the Lord, they would have submitted to John's baptism of repentance. That would have prepared them to submit to Jesus as their rightful Lord and Savior. But they resented him confronting their selfishness. I want you to note two things about God's authority. First, A, God's authority is contained in his word. When Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, he backed up his actions by saying, It is written... Then he quoted from Isaiah 56, verse 7, that God's house should be a house of prayer. And then he tagged on Jeremiah 7, 11, which charged the Jews with turning God's house into a den of robbers, a den of thieves. Now, if you look at our passage today, chapter 19, verse 47, and chapter 20, verse 1, they both emphasize Jesus' teaching ministry. In the course of his teaching, um, Luke says he was preaching the gospel to the crowd. Jesus didn't assume that just because they were Jews in the temple 
that they knew God and walked with Him. He preached the gospel to the religious crowd, and so should we. 25 or 30 years ago, um, Billy Graham kind of shocked the Christian community when he put forth, uh, he, he said that he believes that only 25%, maybe 25% of everybody that's sitting in the pew in America on a Sunday morning is actually saved. They're quite religious. That's why they're in church. But they do not know God. Well, all true spiritual revival, it involves a return to and a renewed emphasis on God's Word. Luther and Calvin, they built the Reformation on a renewed emphasis on biblical preaching. T.H.L. Parker, he begins his book entitled Calvin's Preaching. He says, Sunday after Sunday, day after day, Calvin climbed up the steps into the pulpit. There he patiently led his congregation verse by verse through book after book of the Bible. He goes on to show that the reason Calvin did this was that he believed in the total trustworthiness and authority of the Bible as God's Word. Now, I've read a few of Calvin's sermons that people were writing them down as he wrote, so they're still available today, and they are just as relevant today, some 475 years later, simply because they explain and apply God's authoritative Word. Well, B, the second thing about God's authoritative word is it always confronts our sin. It can't help but do it. Many Christians in our day want to go to a church where the sermons make you feel good about yourself. But when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy uh, about the inspiration of the Scripture, this is 2 Timothy 3.16, he said that it was profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He went on to exhort Timothy in the strongest possible language to preach that word, especially in light of the fact that the time would come where they would want their ears tickled, okay? And, and they would accumulate to themselves teachers in accordance with their, with their own sinful desires. Now, so that Timothy would have no question, Paul spelled out how he should preach the word. He said, Rebuke, uh, reprove, rebuke, Exhort with great patience and instruction. Preaching that does not reprove, rebuke, and exhort people regarding sin, it's not biblical preaching. Preaching that avoids confronting sin and that just makes people feel good about themselves is not pleasing to God. It is not biblical preaching. Calvin argued that the faithful pastor needs to use just enough vehemence that people realize that it's not a game. He pointed out to his church that some would complain about such direct confrontational preaching. Ho, oh, we want to be won by sweetness, he says. You do? Then go and teach God his lessons. Ho, oh, we want to be taught in another style. Well then, go to the devil's school. He will flatter you enough and destroy you. He continues, but believers humble themselves and are willing to be treated severely so that they may profit in God's school. And that's what we're talking about, spiritually getting your toes stepped on. How many of you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? Just a few of you. Uh, she was a, a really happy 17-year-old uh, girl who dove into the water that wasn't as deep as she thought it was. And she 
broke her neck and she's paralyzed from the neck down. She's quadriplegic. In the months that followed, uh, she struggled with really hard questions for the Lord that most of us have not had to ask. By what authority can you do this to me? What gives you the right? But as we read of her struggles, she makes it clear that if the accident had never happened, she would have gone, gone on being a nice, church-going girl who professed to believe in God, but who ran her own life according to her own selfish goals and desires. But God forcefully confronted her and with, with His right to be the sovereign Lord of her life. As a result, she has had a worldwide impact for Jesus. Has the Lord upended any tables in your selfish life? Has He stopped you in your tracks in a way that shocked and upset you? Maybe like those money changers, you weren't doing anything illegal. You, you were just going about your business, making a living, providing for your family. You attended church regularly. You weren't doing anything immoral or flagrantly sinful. But one day, Jesus stepped up to your life, took hold of it, and with just one little jerk, everything was upended. His authority suddenly confronted the self-oriented direction of your life. Perhaps just like these religious men, your immediate reaction was, who do you think you are to upset my life like this? By what authority do you do this to me? Well, if the Lord Jesus has not confronted you with his sovereign authority to rule every aspect of your life, then you probably haven't met him yet. Doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. Doesn't matter how many hymns you have sang that say, yes, Jesus, I love you. When Jesus Christ enters your life, he comes in as absolute Lord. He confronts our selfish lies and he says, I'm the Lord of this temple now. This has to go. That has to go. How do you respond? At first, at first most of us respond like the Jewish leaders. Uh, leaders. We, we challenge his right to do it. But we shouldn't stay there. Number three, when, when God's authority in Christ confronts our selfish lives, we have to honestly submit to the truth. If Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, who gave his life for you on the cross, then he is the absolute sovereign who has a supreme right to govern your life. With these chief priests, scribes, and elders, Jesus pointed to his forerunner, John the Baptist. If they had accepted John's ministry as being from God, then they would have submitted to it and they would have accepted Jesus as being from God. Now, you remember John pointed away from himself. In John 1.29, Jesus is walking by and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A couple chapters later in, ver in chapter 3, verse 30, he says, He, meaning Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. If they had believed John, they wouldn't have had any problem believing Jesus. Now, of course, by believing John, uh, these men weren't talking about just intellectual belief. They knew that it meant believing so as to repent and to submit their lives to what John taught. In Luke chapter 3, we looked at this, gosh, a year, year and a half ago. 
John spelled out what believing his message meant. He said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. So that when you meet Jesus, your life is going to change and you're going to bring forth fruit of repentance. Don't count on your religious background to save you. It will not. They needed to believe in such a way that they lived differently. Generosity, generosity towards the poor, honesty in business, and contentment with their wages. There were three things that John specifically mentioned that are affected when you follow Christ. Now, that's always been and it always will be the meaning of saving faith in the Bible. Submitting your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, whose authority always confronts your selfishness. But these men, they wouldn't deal honestly with Jesus' question. Confronted with the truth, they didn't want to face it. They, did, they decided to reject the authority of Jesus. We don't know, they lied. They did know. But they wouldn't honestly face their sin of rebellion against God. So Jesus refused to cast his pearl before these swine. He wouldn't directly disclose the source of his authority. They could figure it out if they were really interested in knowing. Now, J.C. Ryle, he perceptibly observes, the ruin of thousands is simply this, that they deal dishonestly with their own souls. They allege pretended difficulties as the cause of their not serving Christ, while in reality, they love darkness rather than the light and have no honest desire to change. The late Bill Clem was one of Major League Baseball's best known and most powerful umpires. When he was behind the plate, he made it clear that he was completely in charge of everything that really mattered. In one important game, it was the ninth inning, and the batter hit the ball, hit a line drive to left field. The runner on second is now rounding third, going to home with the winning run. The, coucher, the catcher crouched to, to make the tag. The runner, the catcher, and Bill, the umpire, collided all at once. And they're just laid out in the dust. Well, of course, one, doubt, one dugout's screaming, he's safe, he's safe. And the other dugout, he's out, he's out. It's hysteria in the, fa in, in, in the stands. They, 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 you know, it's just going wild. In the midst of all the confusion and noise, Bill Clem dusted himself off, stood up, and looked directly in the stands, and he raised his fist and he claimed, he ain't nothing till I've called it. Now, this was, the, this was before the days of video replay and, you know, changing calls. No, whatever he said, that's what it was, and the people knew it. They had to submit to his authority. Well, Jesus Christ could go into the temple, turn over the tables of the money changers, drive out those who were selling, and confront the religious leaders because he was acting under the authority of the sovereign God. That same authority gives him the right to confront you, to confront me with the way we are living for ourselves, even if we cover it over with an awful lot of religiosity. The question is, how do we respond when he suddenly upends our comfortable way of life? Do we challenge his right to confront us 
Or do we honestly face our own sinful selfishness, our, our insistence on running our own lives on our own terms? Do we yield to his rightful lordship? That is the question. Now, since Jesus is acting by God's authority, just a little heads up here, you had better submit to him. Let's pray. Father, that's what we ask for this morning is submissive hearts in, in all of our lives, in all areas of our lives, that we would hear from you and that we would act. Father, that we would be obedient. Give us obedient hearts this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever answered that question for yourself in terms of eternity? Where does your, the authority for your life, where does it lie? If it's outside of God and His Word, then you need Jesus today. And that's the only way to get to God. Jesus, uh, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Have you submitted yourself to the authority of Jesus? If you have not, today is a great day. Paul says, in fact, today is the day of salvation. I encourage you to come talk to me. I'll, we'll, we'll look at Scripture and we'll see what it means to submit to God, to repent, to turn from your sin, to make Him the Lord, Jesus, make Him Lord of your life. If you're a believer, I hope that uh, you've just been challenged. Uh, is, there anybody, <laughs> is there anybody in here that is willing to stand up and say, yes, every area of my life is submitted wholly to God. I can tell you I'm not. I can tell you Paul wasn't. He said he continually strove for what, lied, what, what lies ahead. We, we never get there. But yes, little by little, we relinquish. We, we give it to God. And he gets control of this area, control of this area. So that 10 years from now, we look a lot different, not just our hair, but we look a lot different spiritually than we do now. What's God? I promise you, everybody in here, he's talking to you about something. <laughs> that he is not Lord of in your life. Don't talk to me about it. Talk to God. He's the one that's going to give you the truth through His Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.